Afternoon, everyone. I'm Phil, if we've not met before. It's great to see you, and we're going to spend some time now in the Bible, because like I said, we believe that this is the only way that we can know about God. This is the only way we can know about how to have a relationship with him, how we can live for God. And we're continuing our series in the book of Genesis, and we're at Genesis chapter 9 on page 10, and we'll, we'll get to reading that in a moment. But first, I, I want to ask you how, how January was for you, because we're in February now, and um, January seems to be, be a thing now where we, we do annuary things, if you know what I mean. Uh, so like Veganuary was a thing, and was a thing for some of you, where it's a new year, it's, a, it's the first month of the year, I'm going to try something new, so we, go, we do an annuary thing, or a dry January, or whatever. How's it been? Uh, but even if you didn't do an annuary thing, maybe you're thinking of a brewery thing for February, anyway, we all come into a new year with fresh hopes uh, of, the, of January, of a new year, and of w- what might happen. How's it been? Your new fitness regime... The problem with new fitness regimes in January is January is cold and it's dark in the evening, so they tend not to last very long. Um, you, maybe you, you've had a new job recently, and often I find that when I have a new job, it starts, I'm really excited and I'm buzzing about it, and then the shine starts to wear off. Or maybe it's just going strong for you. The annuariness was good, and you're in Ruri and you're still going, and you're feeling optimistic. And in our lives, we have all sorts of things... Um, where we have fresh starts, a new job, and maybe we get married, a husband, new wife, a, a new house, maybe a new church. And we invest a lot of hope into those fresh starts that we have. And some of them start off really well, and then sometimes after a while we stop and we look at them and we go, nothing's really changed for me. Or how about this? Maybe becoming a Christian. Maybe that was recently for you. And uh, you had that fresh start, and it's like ticking over into January, into a new year. How's it going for you? Does your face still have a new car fresh smell about it? Are you still feeling all January, or is February kind of here? And you're thinking, nothing feels like it's really changed for me. So getting into the story of Genesis now, imagine the January new year, or rather new world hope and expectations after the flood with Noah. Let me catch you up. Noah and his family have come out of the ark and onto dry land. They've been rescued by God in that little boat. And it was, we saw last week, it's like a recreation. Genesis 1 has been resounded. God tells them, go, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, increase in it. God wiped out humanity because their hearts were resolutely against him. But he's starting afresh with this family. And they're coming out of the ark. And that's where we start in verse 18. We get what our culture culture would call the future. As in the next generation. Let's have a look at Genesis 9 verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah... And from them came the people who are scattered over the whole earth. So here we have the future. The children, our attention turns to the new generation. And we wait with this new generation. What's going to happen? Is it going to be any different? Let's find out what happens. Verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, 
proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest sons had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. All right. So how is New World Annuary going? How's the fresh start with humanity living for God? The bad news is, nothing's changed. But the good news is, that nothing's changed. Let's start with the bad news. These points are easy to remember, because they're the same. Okay? Bad news is that nothing's changed. Sometimes you get in the Bible a kind of Bible deja vu. In fact, when you read the Bible, you should get this a lot, especially in Genesis, where you read things and you go... I think I've seen that before. And we get a lot of Bible Genesis deja vu here, where we go, we've seen this before. Verse 20, we get Noah. He's come out of the ark, Noah, a man of the soil, and he's planted a vineyard. Do you remember Adam put in a garden by God to work the soil, work the land? And then Noah, in his vineyard, what does he do? Well, he takes the fruit of the vineyard and he makes wine. In verse 21, he drank some of his wine. But drinking it, he gets drunk and lies uncovered, naked, verse 21, in his tent. Which is deeply shameful. Because he is God's man, chosen to lead humanity forward in faithfulness. And the first thing he does coming out of the ark is get drunk on the fruit and expose himself in shame. Bible deja vu. Because remember, Adam, in his garden, he and his wife, they took the fruit. The fruit they weren't supposed to take, and they ate it. They disobeyed God, and they instantly felt shame. Do you remember why they felt shame? Because they were naked. They were exposed to the judgment of others, and so they hid in their shame. Adam and Eve couldn't trust each other anymore with their nakedness, and Noah can't trust his son with his nakedness. Verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way, so they would not see their father naked. Now, verse 22, where Ham sees his father naked, it's a very short verse, but there's huge consequences that come for Ham. It would be a bit odd if what Ham had done wrong was accidentally just saw his father naked. It's kind of how it reads, oh, he saw him naked, and then, curse be Canaan, you know, curse be Ham. Oh, I just looked at him naked. There's something much more deliberate going on here. 
He goes into the tent and there's, there's his father naked, drunk. But instead of doing what his brothers would do and cover his father's nakedness, he runs outside and we're meant to get this sense of kind of maybe like laughing to tell his brothers about what's happened. And again, this isn't him going to his brother saying, oh no, something really bad's happened to our dad. Come and help me cover him. He has no part in covering Noah's shame. It's like he's reveling in what his dad's done in his nakedness. And he spreads the word. These days, what we would do is we would take a photo on our phone, send it around to our mates and say, look what happened to Noah. Or if it was a celebrity who got drunk, naked, whatever, exposed themselves, we took a photo, we'd sell it to the tabloids, it was selling its millions, be up on Facebook with the clickbait line, you won't believe what happened to Noah and his binge Noah and his vineyard. That's what would happen, right? Which just goes to show that things really changed. Adam and Eve can't trust each other with their nakedness, and so they hide in shame. Noah's own son runs out to tell his brothers about his father's naked shame. And we live in a society that runs industries based on people getting drunk, getting naked, and everyone else having a look and telling everyone else about it. The new start on humanity, living for God, isn't looking so very new, is it? In fact, it's depressingly familiar. It's just like Genesis 3, and it's just like 2019. And for the first readers of Genesis... There's some more Bible deja vu going on for them. Canaan. Canaan. Did you notice him? He gets a lot of mentions. It's a bit odd. It starts in verse 18, where we get uh, reminded about the sons. Uh, Noah, who came out of the ark, was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Brackets, by the way, Ham was the father of Canaan. You think, oh, nice, Ham was the father of Canaan. And then we get in again in verse 22. When Ham's about to commit his sin, it says, Ham, by the way, the father of Canaan. Okay, thanks for telling me again. And then in verse 25, when Noah wakes up and he pronounces the curse on Ham, but wait, cursed be Canaan. What did he have to do with it? And then it carries on in verse uh, 27, um, may God extend Japheth's territory, may Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. And you're like, where's Canaan come from? Why is he getting cursed? But if you're the first readers of this, God's people, Israel, you read about Canaan and you go, oh, that's where Canaan came from. Let me explain. So you can go, oh, that's where Canaan came from. Ham's son, Canaan, will go on to have lots of children. Genesis is full of more generations. And they'll have lots of children. And then they'll grow into big families, clans, nations, really. And then the people of Canaan went out to fill a particular piece of land. They settled there. And it became known as the land of Canaan. And it was full of the Canaanites, descended from Ham and Canaan. And they were a people who did not love God. They worshipped a God called Molech. And amongst their fertility practices, their religious practices were sexual abuse, incest, bestiality, and the religious ritual of child sacrifice. And they occupied the land, the promised land God was going to give to his people, the Israelites. And so as the Israelites stood on the edge of that land, 
full of the Canaanites doing those kind of things I just described to you, they would have heard this story of Ham, the father of Canaan, the Canaanites, and they would have gone, oh, that's where they come from. Oh, nothing's changed. They're just like Ham, the father of Canaan, the Canaanites. Do you see the link? So from Adam in the garden to Noah in the vineyard to Ham to Canaan to the Canaanites and then even to us, the world is full of people still who do not love God, who don't walk with him and who revel in shame and sin and nakedness. And so nothing's changed. Why has nothing changed? In short, because the world's still full of humans. That was the thing with the ark. It had people on board, which meant in the ark was preserved both the hope, we'll come to that, but also the problem was preserved. Us. In our flat, we have damp on our walls. And every year it comes around. And every year I wash it down with this stuff which... I don't know, it's like nuclear waste or something. It kills germs, never to return. That's not true. Because the brick works the same and the damp still comes in and in comes the mold again. The problem's still there. And in verse 18 where it says, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark, right there's the problem. Because the sons of Noah are just like their daddy. Noah. And we've just seen he's not quite the squeaky clean hero of the faith that we'd like to think he is. The singer Ben Folds has a, wrote a song about his son for his son. And there's this, it's really sweet and it's all really nice. And then there's this line in it which says, and you're so much like me, I'm sorry. And as a dad, that resonates. I'm sorry you like me. Something's changed with our children, but there's a sense in which for every generation, for every new invention, for every general election, for every revolution and resolution, nothing's changed. Because the post-flood world was still full of people, and our world is full of people, and we're the problem. Do you feel that? Do you feel a frustrated sense in our world and in your life of nothing seems to get better or change? At the end of the film Avengers The Age of Ultron, there's a conversation between Vision and Ultron. Here they are, just in case you don't know what they look like. And they have a conversation about humanity and about our good and our bad and our failings. This is what they say. Vision says... Humans are odd. They think order and chaos are somehow opposites and try to control what won't be. But there is grace in their failings. I think you missed that. Ultron says, they're doomed. Vision, yes. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them. Ultron, you're unbearably naive. So vision, or Joss Whedon, who's behind vision, sees our failings but wants to put a really positive spin on it. 
There's grace in our failings. It's okay that humanity fails. It's a privilege to be among us. The thing is, I'm with Ultron. I think he's unbearably naive. Because there is beauty in humanity. But to kind of brush aside the millennia of tragic deja vu, to minimize the pain we repeatedly cause each other, to minimize the fact that we are all repeat offenders against God, from Adam to Ham to Canaan to the Canaanites to us in London, to kind of minimize that is naive. And it's of no use to anyone, actually. Because there isn't beauty in cycles of addiction. There isn't grace in war after war. There isn't beauty in the fact that poverty still isn't history. There isn't grace in our own repeated moral failings. It's just tragic. And at least the Bible's honest about it. Nothing's changed. And as long as we think that we're the answer and not the problem, nothing is going to change. Nothing's changed. But then again, nothing's changed. And that's the good news. Nothing's changed. Because the Bible deja vu isn't only the repetition of Adam's failure in Noah, Ham, Canaan. The plan of God's rescue for the world also hasn't changed. What happened, think back to Adam and Eve again, What happened after Adam and Eve were confronted by God in their naked shame after their rebellion? God pronounced curses and blessings. Let's go and have a look at them. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Just a few pages back, page 5. So God starts by pronouncing a curse on Satan, the snake. And the curse that comes on the snake includes something about his descendants. Genesis 3.15. Sorry, uh, yeah, let's go from verse 14. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the offspring of the snake would be crushed by the offspring of the woman. And here, I don't know if you, if you were around, you'll remember the two lines of human history began. Team snake and team woman. One line of people who live against God and the other line of people who live for God, trusting him. And from the woman, we're told, will come her offspring, a person who we know is Jesus, the Messiah. And he will come from her family and one day crush Satan and stop him and stop all who live against God. So that's the curse in Genesis 3. Back to Genesis 9. Let's get some deja vu. Because Noah wakes up and he pronounces a very familiar curse on Ham's descendants, Canaan. Look at verse 24. Genesis 9. When Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, just like God, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. 
Just as the snake's offspring would lose to the offspring of Eve, here we get Ham, your offspring, Canaan, and the Canaanites will lose to the offspring of Eve. Now carried on in Shem and Japheth, who are faithful to God. So the familiar curse is that those who live against God, the Canaanites, will end up losing to the people who are faithful to God. Nothing's changed after the flood. The two lines I want you to see are still there. There are those who oppose God, but then there's this blessed family with the promise of God who trust God, now summarized in the lives of Shem and Japheth. And from Shem's family will one day come the snake crusher, Jesus. From Shem comes Israel. And we see that Shem and Japheth are very different to Ham in the way they behave, aren't they? Radically different. In fact, they're very godlike. Some more deja vu for you. What did God do to Adam and Eve in their naked shame? Go back to 3 verse 21. Go back a couple of pages. Page 6. Adam and Eve in their sin and their shame, naked. Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What did Shem and Japheth do for Noah in his nakedness and shame? Back to chapter 9, verse 23. Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. They walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Deja vu. Their faces were turned so they did not see their father naked. See, nothing's changed. God's shame-covering grace is still at work in the world through his people. And we see the, the very two different family lines develop in verse 26. Noah also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, so they kind of go together. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Now, that didn't read how I was expecting it to. I was expecting it to say, cursed be Canaan, but blessed be Shem. What does it say? Instead, we get cursed be Canaan, but praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. See, Noah can see that this is all about God's blessing carrying on. The carrying on of the family line of those who are living faithful to him, Eve's family line. God's plan to have a growing, faithful family is unchanged. Shem, Japheth, carried on with growing territory and big family tents. You go live in his tents. And God's plan to win over his enemies, which he teed up in Genesis 3, is still there. Now it's focused on Canaan. God's people will rule over them. And it also means that God's plan to bring the Messiah from the family line of Eve... It's not changed. We saw earlier that the problem was that on the boat was humanity, and we carried the problem. But also on the boat was God's plan. Because from Shem's family line would come Abraham. You're going to have to wait till a few more chapters, chapter 11 for that. And then we can trace from Shem, Abraham, through to the Israelites, and then we can trace from the Israelites through to Jesus. So in verse 18, when Shem stepped off the ark, hope stepped off the ark. 
God's promise came out of the ark. The faithful family that would centuries later bring Jesus into the world stepped off the ark. Nothing's changed. God's plan, still on. Now, I'm the kind of person who, if if you arrange to meet me for coffee or something, um, it's in my diary, and I'm going to turn up. But what I've discovered is that some of you don't operate that way. Not that you don't turn up, but I get a message in the morning saying, Phil, are we still on for coffee? And I'm thinking, yeah, it's in my diary. I'm coming, I'm turning up. But you don't operate that way. You're going to think twice now if we're meeting up and you want to text me to check it's still on. You can, st- you can check it's still on, it's okay. But you know what, we can be like that with God. God, are we, are we still on for the whole plan to rescue humanity? Are we we still on for Jesus returning to finish it? Are we still up for for you forgiving my sin and one day finally breaking these cycles of pain and rebellion in the world? Are you still planning on showing up, God? And God replies, yeah, we're still on. Nothing's changed. I've said I'll do it and I will. And so to the Israelites... On the edge of the promised land, looking at the big scary Canaanites, they would have wanted to send a message to God. Uh, God, are we still on for the whole promised land thing? Are we going to be able to live in the land with these people here? Like you promised? God says, yeah, we're still on. Canaan will serve you. I said so back in Genesis 9. This is all part of the plan. So as you read the Bible... And you keep reading the story and you see, sadly, time and time again, nothing has changed. Humanity's rebellion carries on. We we might start to think, God, are you still on? You know, we're getting through the books of the Bible in the Old Testament. Maybe you're doing your Bible in the year. Like, Israel suck as well. What's going on? The family line advances and advances. And Jesus does come. And he dies on the cross. And he rises from the dead. And he finally crushes Satan and breaks the cycle of death. Something has changed. Jesus has come and he's won. So we can know him. And so you and I, Christians now, we have got to believe God will finish the job. You don't need to message God to check. He's still on for saving you. Nothing's changed. Jesus will return. The rescue plan is still on. And actually through Jesus, things do begin to change in our lives now because the God of Shem covers our shame. And did you notice how Japheth would live in the tents of Shem? Verse 27. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And that is foreshadowing the promise of how we can be part of the family of God. We can live in those tents, in the, in the tents of the people who trust in Jesus. The tents just got a lot bigger. And it's not, we don't call it the tent of Shem anymore, we call it the church. The plan's not changed, do you see? So in a world where the bad news is that nothing's changed, the good news is that neither's God's plan. Jesus will return and he will fully and finally make all things new in a way the flood didn't. So are you hoping in God's plan to rescue this world and bring us back to him? Because either we're in the line of Ham and Canaan, living against God, or 
We say, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. You were the plan all along. You are the way I can be rescued. And we join the church, the big tent of those who are trusting in God. So I want you to think now, which of these two perspectives do you most need to remember in your life? Have you become naive? Thinking that things are just going to get better and better in humanity, in life, that we are the future. You need to hear no. As long as humans remain fundamentally unchanged, the problems of this world will also remain fundamentally unchanged. For all our improvements, whether you think it's going to be you or the next generation or whatever it is, we carry the same problem. You need to remember the bad news. Nothing's changed. But have you become despondent? Maybe you see in the world at large, on the news, and in your life, unbreakable cycles of failure and of pain. And you wonder, do you need to message God and see if he's still actually going to do anything? You need to hear, oh, the plan is still on. Nothing's changed. Jesus has come, and he is working, and he is going to come back. You're in the right tent in the church. Now, I want to finish by exploring a couple of very specific ways we might need to live this out. The first thing I want to think about is our relationships. We can make the mistake of investing too much hope in what people close to us can achieve friends, family, but I do particularly see this in marriage. I know not all of us here are married, but it's a, it's a helpful example to think about, but we can apply it to all of our relationships. So you've married a Christian woman or man, and you know that your desire for each other is to grow in godliness, to be a team living for Christ together. And so like the January hope of the new year or the kind of next generation after the flood hope, you think it's going to be great. You've got to pray for each other every day and you've got to call out each other's sin in a loving and sensitive and constructive way. And you're going to see growth in, in Christ-likeness together until the day you die. And then February rolls around, as it were, a few months in, a few years in, a few decades in, and you stop and you look and you think, nothing's changed. And that can feel devastating, devastated expectations. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not with those who say, and I've heard this said, you shouldn't expect your spouse to change. This is the beauty of Christian marriage, is you have the hopeful expectation that you'll both be seeking to become more like Christ. This is not an excuse for a lazy marriage, I'm just the way I am. None of that. But the number one problem with all marriages, with my marriage, with all of our relationships, is that humans are involved. And so alongside the right hopeful expectation of Christ-likeness together, we need to be able to look at our Christian family and friends and spouses and let Genesis 9 just get our expectations right. Adam, Noah, Ham, Canaan, you, me. We will carry our fundamental flaw of sin into every relationship we have until Jesus comes back and makes us completely new. That's just the reality of it. But don't lose heart. 
Jesus is working, the plan's still on, and he will come back. So that's relationships. The other area I want us to think about is Brexit. We don't normally go there in sermons, but I'm going to. What emotion about the future of our country do you have? Perhaps as a Brexiteer, this is the dawning of the new age. Free from the shackles of European bureaucracy, the bright dawn of national autonomy is here. Or perhaps as a Remainer, it's the end of the world as we know it. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, neither of those should be our response. This is serious. Yes, this is going to have a huge impact on our lives for good or for bad. Things will change. But we need to remember nothing will change. In the most fundamental ways, nothing will change. Sadly, Britain and Europe will still be full of people like you and me who carry with us in our hearts our most serious flaw that we do not love the Creator we'll still be a people of drunkenness and nakedness and making a mockery out of shame and we'll still be a continent in desperate need of the gospel. Nothing's going to change and we'll still need God's help. Brexit will not make us better people. And the good news is that with Brexit, however it happens, nothing's going to change because God's plan of redemption doesn't require passing through Parliament. (laughs) Nobody adds amendments to it. There's no negotiation necessary so it can be enacted. There's no uncertainty as what's going to happen from the ticking over from the 29th of March to the 30th of March. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Jesus Christ, the hope of the promise preserved in the family line of Shem, he'll still be the hero the world needs. All God's promises will still find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness of sins for all people will still be found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tent that you want to be in is still going to be God's people. And yes, if we need to message God to ask, he'll still be on for Jesus returning and finishing the plan. The final phase will happen. And let me tell you, when Jesus returns, then everything will change. Let's pray. give you a moment to reflect and think upon what you've heard, what God's been saying to you, how he's been challenging you to remember our flaws, that nothing's changed. Maybe there are relationships where you've been very graceless with people because you've demanded so much of them. Perhaps there are ways you need to remember the good news, that nothing's changed in your despondency, in your fear, in your feeling stuck. The plan is still on. Do you need to remember that? Sovereign Lord, you are the God over all history. And as we look back thousands of years through the Bible, as we look at our present, we look at our future, we're so sorry that we are the problem 
that day after day, week after week, we do the same things, we make the same mistakes, we commit the same sins. And, and I pray that you'd help us to feel our helplessness, that we don't have the answer within us. Forgive us for a naivety, or even an idolatry, of humanity. We are not the heroes that we need. I thank you so much for your faithfulness, your patience. Year after year, generation after generation, seeing sin repeated, repeated, it must break your heart. And yet to be so faithful in this promise to bring Jesus Christ into the world. Thank you, God, that you did not give up. You have not given up on any of us in this room. The plan is still on. Nothing has changed. Jesus is still on the throne and he is still the saviour that we need. And I pray that this week we would live with that unchanging hope. Amen.